Amen. I'm excited today. I'm excited for a few reasons. Partnership with Egypt. I'm, I'm really excited as we're pressing into that. And I'm excited because today we are launching our worship and wonder season. For the last four years, what we do during the summer is we, we have this season where we call the church as you scatter on your vacation, as there's a change in rhythms to really focus on two things. One is worship, making space to be with God and just having these intentional spaces that you're carving out to be in awe of him and wonder, intentionally carving out space to enjoy his good gifts and to savor them and to give him thanks for that. So what we usually do is we give a bunch of resources. We have this, re this guide that we'll give you at the end of the service. We'll, we'll be handing it out. We've got a reading plan. We have creative cohort, all kinds of fun things um, that we want to invite you into in this worship and wonder season. And, and, and I love it. This is one of my favorite seasons. It's the way you know that summer's coming. There's two ways you know that summer's coming. One is uh, worship and wonder season. Two is that John Crawford, the other pastor up here with me, uh, you know, changes his persona, his look. Last year, we knew it was worship and wonder season when he was looking like vegan Conor McGregor. Uh, this year he changed it up. He looks like Slim Shady meets White Earp, who got a job at a library. And so uh, me and John Crawford here, we're gonna walk you through uh, what this worship and wonder season is gonna look like and why we do it. So why do we do this? Why every year during the summer do we have this worship and wonder season? It, become, it comes because we noticed a few years ago that there would be around this time of year, an outbreak, an outbreak of a disease that would spread through the congregation, spread through Tempe. A disease that you may have and not even know it, even though it could change the course of your life. A disease that starts coming around when it hits 110 degrees. A disease that we call the dry heat fever. The dry heat fever is a sudden urge to move somewhere else, change jobs, make a large purchase, or have some other drastic change of life once we hit the tri triple digits. It's a pandemic of unwise decisions that just comes from this desire to just, I gotta get out of here, right? Symptoms include arthritis, from searching websites like Zillow and Indeed as you try to find a new job and a new house. Persistent vomiting of criticisms about the place you have called home, the people you've called friends, and the job that God has used to provide a, food, a roof over your head. And a loss of hearing, especially in regard to the wise counsel of others when they tell you, hey, you might not want to move to Austin just because they have good barbecue there, right? <laughs> it's the dry heat fever. I've been doing ministry in Tempe for 20 years, and I have noticed every year this tends to happen. It, it usually comes from a deep sense of, of discontentment, a deep longing that makes you wanna make a drastic change. And when people make these changes, I'd say about half of the time it works out, wisdom, but about half the time people end up regretting it, making these big life decisions. And it's not only that, but I mean, that's at its best. At its worst, sometimes people deal with that discontentment with even more destructive things, with divorce, wandering from the faith, abusing substances. We see an increase of that during summers. I even talked with Dominic earlier, the, uh, the public defender, he says there's an increase in crime in the summers uh, in Arizona. And, and where does it come from? I think it usually starts in May. In May, when you do these big life events, April, May, you go to weddings and graduations and there's the end of the school year and people start scattering. And as you're at these events, you begin to ask these deep questions of like, what am I doing with my life? 
Do I want to live here? Are these the people I want to be with? There's a longing that comes, this existential crisis that happens in May. And then the summer hits and the heat comes and you're like, nope, I definitely want to do something else. And, and, and I used to tell people, stop making dumb decisions during the summer. That was my answer. But um, that didn't help anybody. So I tried, had to try a different path and had to really think, what are we aching for? What are we longing for? And underneath those longings is something good. It is a deep longing to encounter God and a longing to enjoy his good gifts. So what we want to call us to is over the next eight weeks to have this intentional approach to life that says, I'm going to devote myself to two things, worship, finding space, intentional space to be with God, and wonder, finding space to enjoy and savor his good gifts. Now, worship and wonder, it's not our idea. I mean, we call it that, but the, the idea really is ancient. It comes from the Psalms. And when you read the Psalms, they are constantly calling us to worship and wonder. So what we're going to do today is we're going to dive into Psalm 104 and have it lead us into this season. So, John, do you want to tell us about Psalm 104? Yes, yeah, so Psalm 104 uh, is a beautiful psalm, and the core of what this psalm is about is worship. But the thing that leads to worship in Psalm 104 is wonder, delighting in God's good creation, in good gifts of creation, and seeing that all of these good things come from God, the creator and sustainer of life who is holding all things together. And so Psalm 104 was written and designed to call attention to the majesty, power, and wonder of God by retelling the creation story from Genesis chapter one. And so all through Psalm 104, the psalmist is actually retelling Genesis one and the creation narrative. And what we see is day one of Genesis, the creation story of day one, the inception of light is created. And the psalmist talks about this in verse two of Psalm 104. Day two of the creation story where the firmament divides the waters is seen in verses two to four of this psalm. Day three, the land and water become distinct are in verses, four, verses five through nine in this psalm. Day three again, the vegetation and trees is in verses 14 to 17. Day four of creation where there's lights for day and night and timekeepers time are created, verses 19 to 23 of the psalm. Day five, creatures of sea and air is in verses 25 and 26. Day six of creation where there's animals and man are in verses 21 through 24. And lastly, also in day six of the creation narrative, food for all creatures. The psalmist talks about this in verses 27 through 28. And so as the psalmist is retelling Genesis chapter one, he is caught up in awe and wonder at all of the various things that God has created in his creation. And his wonder leads him to worshiping God. And sandwiched right between his retelling of day four and day five of the creation story, sandwiched right in there, is verse 24. And verse 24 of this psalm is actually the core of the psalm because the psalmist does something intentionally there's an intentional pause that the psalmist does for reflection. And this pause is an invitation for us, the readers, to explore and experience what the psalmist is experiencing. And the psalmist is giving us two invitations, but they're not separate invitations, they are related. Wonder and worship. And the way that they're related is that this is an invitation to wonder that leads to worshiping God. And so, Jim, I'd love for you to talk more about the invitation to wonder that we see in this psalm. Absolutely. The invitation to wonder. We see in verse 24, O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Now, we don't use the word manifold a lot. It just means many, a lot. 
He is looking at all these brilliant things God has created and erupts with worship in verse 24 and just praising God for the wisdom that he has put into the creation of trees and vegetation and land and wild donkeys. It literally mentions wild donkeys in there. That's a pretty cool psalm when it mentions wild donkeys, in my opinion. But here's the thing. It's not just about what the psalms are saying. It's about what the psalms are doing. The way that psalms are supposed to work is not just as systematic theologies that give you information about God, but this is the prayer book of Scripture that is saying, here is how you pray. Not just what does the psalm say, but what is the psalm doing? And that's what you're invited into. As the the psalmist here is slowing down to pay attention to God's gifts and creation, we are invited to do the same thing. He's letting his soul come to grips with the brilliance and wisdom baked into all that God has created. It's an echo of Genesis 1. When God looks out over everything he's created and audits it and declares, it is good, it is good, it is good. The psalmist is doing that. Maybe David, we don't know who the psalmist is, but he's saying it is good. And we are invited to look at all that God has made and say it is good. Not just in this season, but in all seasons. But in particular, we're calling the church to that in this season. Now, in the passage, where do you see him being filled with wonder? It's in every verse. But I just want to draw uh, your attention to a few places. In verses 10 through 13, there's this attention towards the water cycle and rain. It says, you make springs gush forth in the valleys. They flow between the hills. They give drink to every beast of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. Beside them, the birds of the heavens dwell. They sing among the branches. From your lofty abode, you water the mountains. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your work. You can imagine David or whoever the psalmist is sitting up on a hill, watching the rain fall and it go into a valley and pool up in a pond or a stream. And you see those wild donkeys show up and they're drinking and they're deeply satisfied by what God is providing in that moment. Not only them, but the birds who are giving their song in the trees and not only them, but all of the vegetation and not only them, but the humans whose lives are dependent on these very things. And he is just filled with awe and wonder. Seeing God as the great farmer who's irrigating the forest and sustaining the life of animals and plants, he's slowing down to pay attention to the absurd gift of water. Is there anything more plain and ordinary that we overlook than water? And if we pay attention to it, we should be awestruck. We should fall on our faces and worship because in this bottle of water is more grace, infinite morely more grace than we deserve. But God has poured this gift, literally poured. That's how water works uh, towards us. Think about how absurd water is. It's this clear liquid that sustains our life. It makes the crops grow. It cools us down in the summer. It cleanses us. And God just doesn't give you a little thimble of it, but he has these fluffy clouds just fly over you and he just dumps it out in just gracious, extravagant, abundant gift. If we sat down and thought about water like the psalmist does, we would be filled with wonder. And so this is an invitation to us. If we're gonna do what the Psalms do, it means that this summer should be a summer filled with sunsets and taking naps and climbing Mount Baldy and slowly savoring your food. And in every glimpse of the brilliance of creation, acknowledging that this is a gift and it comes from the giver who is God, enjoying what he has given. What I love about this is that the psalmist doesn't stop there. He goes beyond just raw creation and actually talks about God's generosity and gift that is delivered through good human culture. It's not just the rocks and the rivers and all those things, but it goes further and talks about good human culture. 
Verse 14 says, you cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate, that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine and bread to strengthen man's heart. Notice that this is saying that God's, his gift, his grace, his brilliance is not just displayed in the rivers and stuff, but actual human culture, things that humans made and cultivate the hidden potential out of the creation. Notice it says wine, not just grapes. Oil, not just raw olives. Bread, not just wheat. God is ultimately responsible. Just take something like bread. Today we're going to have communion with actual bread, not the little styrofoam styrofoam discs that we typically have, (laughs) but actual bread. Um, Just today, don't get too excited, right? (laughs) Mark Selner made it. Uh, And it's it's good because there you go. Yeah, clap for him. And what's happening in bread is that someone like Mark Sellner is taking the creational goodness, the potential that was hidden within wheat and yeast and drawing it out. And when he draws it out and makes those certain combinations together, it shows the brilliance of what God made. And when you taste good bread, you can say how manifold are the works of God and wisdom he has made them all. This is an invitation an invitation to wherever you find a good gift in creation or in culture to enjoy it and to delight in it as a way of worshiping God. So we, um, during the summer, we do these creative cohorts where we do art and we, we make art, we enjoy art. And what this passage invites us to do is not just enjoy the raw pigments of color that are found in the ground, but how those pigments get turned into paint and then turned into a beautiful painting, or in John's case, the whatever pigments go into the dyeing of your hair. How manifold are the works? <laughs> Basketball, every summer we take a trip, uh, a men's trip to the, to the NBA Summer League, and uh, we go and we watch basketball. And it's not just about admiring how God made human muscles to like the calf muscle, great design, but we, it's, calf muscles are awesome. Uh, John is going to make fun of me for that here in a minute. I'm beating him to the punch. But, but you can admire the way that that calf muscle launches a human being, an image bearer into the air to catch an alley-oop dunk with such power that it reflects the power of God as this image bearer is dramatizing what God is like, enjoying basketball and saying thank you to God as part of what this psalm is calling us to. Yeah. Go ahead, John, yeah. go ahead. Jim's, Jim's looking at calf muscles while I'm watching basketball. Yeah. That's, that's what's happening. <laughs> that's right. How manifold are the works of God, my friend? All right, I know some of you are asking the question. You're asking the question, okay, I can kind of see where we can enjoy sunsets and bread, but like... Uh, basketball and art and those sorts of things. Does Jesus really want us to to go around looking at paintings and enjoying basketball and playing basketball and swimming? I thought we followed his crucified Savior who calls us to take up our cross and do hard things, to care for the poor, to preach the gospel, to do justice, to deny ourselves. Does he really want us walking around smelling flowers and stuff? I think the answer is yes. Otherwise, this would be like a pretty lame sermon if the answer was no. Um, But look, Jesus is the creator of these things. He created a masterpiece. Part of honoring his masterpiece and honoring is to honor him as the creator of those things. And even if you're a little skeptical, the Apostle Paul, if there was ever an intense guy who was about embracing suffering, living in persecution. It was the Apostle Paul. We can all agree he was a pretty intense guy, right? In 1 Timothy 4, Paul's confronting this heresy in Ephesus, in the Ephesian church that he is really upset about. And the heresy is that there are people in that 
congregation who are saying the stuff of creation, food and marriage and the physical things of the world are worthless and we shouldn't pay any attention to them. He's saying, no, that is not correct. In verse four, he says, for everything created by God is good, not neutral, not okay, not just an opportunity, good. And nothing is to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving. In other words, he's all for suffering and going around being persecuted because Jesus is worth it. But on his way to the prison, on his way to the jail, he's gonna look at those flowers on the side of the road and say, how manifold are your works and your wisdom, you made them all. Delighting in the goodness of his creation. Now you may say, okay, well, does that mean because God created everything and I, and I enjoy some of those things that it's all good? Like, does that mean that I can just go get drunk and sleep around because God created the grapes and the wine and he made the human bodies, right? No. So from time to time, we'll get someone around here who will say something like that. Uh, usually has to do more with uh, more... Uh, Herbal. Hey, don't uh, look at things. me, man. <laughs> Jeez, what the heck? <laughs> uh, hey, enough said. Enough said. Uh, all right. So look, th there are destructive ways of engaging creation, right? Two of them I want to name. One is to deify creation, to take the good gift that God created and to Turn it into an idol. Make it the centerpiece of your life. And you are not honoring creation when you do it. When you make something else the center of your life other than God, it will be destructive in the end. I'm going to illustrate this with a controversial statement. Michael Jordan, probably the second best basketball player of all time. Amen. There you Amen. go. Even if he is the first or the second, Maybe third, I don't know. No matter what, if you read some of the statements that he's made about his approach to basketball and how it's his obsession and everything else gets blocked out, he's describing idolatry. And while his game may have been brilliant, when you look at the documentaries and the things he said afterwards about how his family was destroyed by that obsession, his friendships are destroyed, the bitterness that came when basketball went away, it's, it's evident that it was the centerpiece of his life and it wasn't enough. Basketball is a good gift of creation and there are so many gifts within a game, but it is insufficient to be a God, to be the centerpiece of your life so we don't deify creation. The second way that we engage creation in a destructive way is to distort it, to use creation in a way that's contrary to its intention. Let me illustrate this. Tobacco. When God is surveying creation, and he's declaring everything good. Does that include the tobacco plant? Absolutely. I am here to tell you today, tobacco is good. Not okay, good is a gift from God. But maybe his intention for the tobacco plant wasn't that we set it on fire and breathe in the smoke. Maybe he had a different purpose for the tobacco plant. If you look into what the, the tobacco plant can do, it is incredible. It can be a natural pesticide in gardens. Even there are enzymes in the tobacco plant that are used to treat Ebola. It's one of the most effective treatments. Tobacco is a good gift of God that is used as an instrument of healing, even though we've used it in ways that are detrimental uh, to the world. And that's distorting the use of the gift. It's a gift from God, so we use it in his way. So one of the best ways to, that I like to think about this is if a parent gives a child a baseball bat, it is a good gift, probably intended so that the parent can play baseball with the kid and see them have fun. 
But if that kid takes it and bashes all the windows in the house and, and starts smashing the blender and those sorts of things, it doesn't make it a bad gift. It's a good gift. It's just being used in ways that are contrary to the way the creator intended. So we don't deify or distort, but what is the right way to in, rightly enjoy creation? The apostle Paul, when he's given that charge to uh, enjoy creation and how everything is good, he says that it is good when it is received with thanksgiving. That, that means you receive it with a posture that says all of this is a gift from God to which I say thank you to God for. And because it's a gift, I use it in a way that the creator intended for it. G.K. Chesterton said that the world will never starve for a want of wonders, but only for a want of wonder. If we open our eyes and do what the psalmist is doing, we can see God's gifts all around. And if we pay attention, it'll lead us to a place of worshiping him. Now, John, this is like, the easiest thing we ever ask people to do. And in in, this is like not a hard charge. Go enjoy basketball and bread. That's what we're telling you to do and give thanks to God for it. But inevitably, people will not take us up on this and spend their entire summers distracted and uh, just it, you know, uh, with no intentionality. Why does this happen? Yeah, we don't do this because we are distracted. Like Jim just said, we're distracted. Many times we're distracted by good things that God has given us, responsibilities of the day, work, family, school, you name it. But those things can be distractions. But even more than that, we live in a moment in time that has been called the age of distraction, where we are constantly being pinged, we're constantly receiving notifications. We are constantly being pulled away from things. Research shows that it is scientifically proven that our attention spans have decreased. Notifications constantly going. In the most recent study actually from this year, uh, from 2023, uh, the average person checks their phone, guess how many times per day? She said 400,000. That's close. A more realistic guess. 20, 200, 400. Okay, yeah. So uh, 352 times a day. The average person checks their phone 352 times a day, which means on average it's once every three minutes. So I know you guys are checking your phones right now. You're looking at what, whenever your Amazon package is coming and uh, Jim's talking about basketball. So you're looking at ESPN and things like that. But here's what's crazy. At that rate, we check our phones over 10,000 times a month. Now it's crazy, but the craziest thing is this same study was done four years ago in 2019. Guess how often people were checking their phones four years ago. 96 times per day, about once every 10 minutes, which means in the last four years, there's been a fourfold increase of how often we are looking at our phones, being notified, being pulled away. And today we are so distracted that we are distracted from our distractions. Like I remember growing up trying to do homework, the TV was a distraction, right? You'd go watch, watch a show or you'd see something on TV and it would distract you from what you needed to do. Well, the same study shows that 92% of people use their phones while they watch TV or watch a movie, which is crazy. I do it. I know that I'm guilty of that, right? But the reality is like we are distracted. And the problem with that is distraction collapses the possibility of wonder. But attentiveness, like what we see in Psalm 104, attentiveness enhances the possibility of wonder. And so Jim, tell us how we can move towards wonder this summer. Yeah, so just as our phones are constantly nudging us towards inattention, uh, we've kind of put together some tools uh, to help nudge us towards attention toward God. So we'll hand these out. 
on the way out. Uh, we have a Bible reading plan here, but we also have about 20 of these choose your own adventure worship and wonder things. It's everything from play a game you haven't played since you were a child. And, uh, and thank God for it. Uh, swimming pool liturgy, where you hold your breath underwater and come up eventually. Don't die, right? Uh, and and you, you take in the gift of lungs and oxygen that often gets ignored. Uh, savor a sunset and read Psalm 8. Take a sacred nap um, in a place you've never taken a nap before and read Psalm 127 and relinquish control of the world to God. There are a bunch of these here, and I'll tell you what we'll do is if you find me afterwards and you can tell me two facts about yourself, I'll recommend one of these for you. So instead of just talking about them, we wanted to actually do one. Uh, our phones can be a distraction. We have a practice that's in here that even uses the phone to turn attention toward God. You want to talk about it? Yeah, so uh, there's a really cool practice called Images of Gratitude. And this is where you get out your phone and you're gonna scroll through your uh, pictures on your phone. And even if it's just photos recently, scroll through and you're gonna look for a photo that you are grateful for, a, a moment or a memory, something that you are really grateful to God for. And maybe that is in the photo, it's a time when you experience the presence of God in, in a very real way. And that is then able to be turned into attentiveness to give thanks to God, expressing gratitude for what is in that photo. And so what, what we wanna do right now is uh, actually share a photo from my phone, um, scrolling through, photo will come up on the screen here. Um, this image is one of my favorite pictures. We were uh, on vacation last summer at the beach. We're actually headed there later this week, so to this exact same spot, which I'm excited for. Um, but we were on a family walk, early morning walk on the beach, and Marika uh, hung back and was able to snap this picture of me and the boys. But we go on like a couple hour long walks on the beach before the sun comes up. You don't need sunscreen. And we're looking for seashells. We're looking for sand dollars. We're having conversations as a family. And then what we'll do is we'll stop periodically and we will pray Psalm 93, which if you're unfamiliar, it's a Psalm that talks a lot about the waves and the ocean and God being stronger than uh, even the mightiest of waves. And so it gives us a time to really just reflect and it's a really peaceful place. And so this is an image that I feel like I've encountered God's presence and just am really grateful for. How about you? So when I did this practice this week, this, this old photo popped up here. Um, Jim's going to reenact that on stage right that's, now. That's right. Um, so this was a memory of working on a project, and we, were so ex we worked really hard on it. We were so excited that I couldn't help myself but to pick up John and start throwing him around. We were really excited. And I remember thinking as we were working on that project how I would be totally satisfied if I could work with the people around that table uh, for many years. And that was about seven years ago. And it was uh, John and Jake and Warren and a couple others were around that table. And, and I'm just deeply grateful to have been able to work with you guys. That's good, man. Yeah, look, that's yeah. a clap for that. See, that, that was a preemptive clap to get before the snarky comment that yeah, was coming. Yeah. Hey, so uh, what we want you to do, actually, uh, as distracting as your can be, we want you to get your phones out and do this practice. So I want you to get out your phone, go to the photos, and scroll through recent photos and find a photo that you are grateful for. What I want you to do is I want you to share that photo with the person next to you and then they can share their photo with you and then to pray and give thanks to God for what is in that photo. So we're gonna give you a minute or two right now to do that.
All right, let's bring it back in. Bring it back into the psalm. We're going to continue reading Psalm 104, picking up in verse 31. Psalmist writes, May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works, who looks on the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have being. May my meditation be pleasing to him, for I rejoice in the Lord. What we see here is God is inviting you to worship him in all of life. And in verse 31, we see that God delights in his creation. Psalmist says God is rejoicing in his creation. And then in verse 33, we see in light of everything the psalmist has done, retelling the creation story, verse 33 is the psalmist's response all of the wonder that he's experienced and his response is delighting, rejoicing, mirroring the exact same response that God has in verse 31. And the song, psalmist breaks out in song, singing praise to God, worshiping God. But why? It's because attentiveness to God's work leads to worship. And so he worships. But some of you may hear this talking about worship and wonder, and it kind of asks, it begs the question, raises of, well, why do we need intentional practices of worship? Because doesn't God already know how amazing he is, right? Doesn't God know how great he is? That's a fair question. And I would say God doesn't need your worship, but your soul needs worship. And verse one, Psalm 104, verse one, the psalmist starts off the psalm and says, bless the Lord, O my soul. The psalmist knows that his soul needs it. And so this is a self-exhortation to worship God. It's as if the psalmist is saying, I wanna worship God. And the best way for him to do that is by experiencing wonder because of all of God's work. And so verse 33, the psalmist says that he's going to Sing to the Lord as long as I live. The psalmist is able to worship God for all his life because of wonder in all of life. And we are able to worship Jesus for all of our lives because of wonder in all of life. But in order to do that, we need intentional practices of worship because worship is warfare against idolatry. Worship acknowledges the goodness of things created by God, but it acknowledges that they come from God and they all belong to God. The fascinating thing about this Psalm, Psalm 104, is that there is an ancient Egyptian hymn to the sun from the 14th century BC. So a long, 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 long time ago, 14th century BC. It was a hymn written to the sun deity in Egypt. And Psalm 104 has this Egyptian hymn in mind and the psalmist takes the very structure of this ancient hymn and reorients it towards God. Biblical scholars say that the psalmist intentionally did this with this Egyptian hymn and there are a lot of similarities between the two of them. But there is something intentionally very different with Psalm 104 because the Egyptians were worshiping the sun but the psalmist is worshiping its maker. The psalmist is worshiping the God who created the sun and who created everything else in creation. The psalmist's worship in Psalm 104 is warfare against idolatry as he's singing about the goodness of creation. 
but he's singing about how it all belongs to the one true living God rather than a sun deity. Psalm 104 was ancient warfare against idolatry. And so, Jim, for today, idolatry today, how have you seen intentional practices of worship challenge and come against idolatry in your own life today? So I have a confession to make. Uh, John asked me this question the other day as we were thinking about how we were going to do this sermon. Um, and I had a couple answers prepared, but uh, I kept naming them about ways I would like pray during halftimes of basketball games and confessing next to a dumpster and all these things. I could see in John and Jake's eyes that they were like, dude, you're kind of a weird guy and other people aren't going to do that stuff. Can you get something a little bit normal for your example? And, That's true. And, <laughs> and, I, and I was, I was, it was a very busy week and I thought, okay, I'm going to get some time to think about a, a normal <laughs> example um, when I work on Saturday morning and finish up the sermon, right? But then Saturday morning came and my daughter wakes up, she's playing with the puppy and she comes to me and she says, dad, it's Sabbath day. She's excited. She's like, are we going to go to breakfast today and celebrate like uh, that it is Sabbath day. And usually Saturdays are the Sabbath where we take, I take off of work and I'm with my family and pray and get time with God. And um, she's confronting me. She doesn't even know it, but I was about to go do a couple hours of work on the sermon. And she invites me out of that and invites me into one of the best days I've had in months of going on walks and eating good breakfast and uh, enjoying the gifts of creation. And, and, and it was a reminder that the one of my idols that I struggle with most is the idolatry of work, of making that the centerpiece of my life. And the Sabbath is a practice, one of the first practices that God gave us, a practice of worship where it's taking a day to give your full attention to God and his good gifts and to step away from work. And what that practice does is it cuts the legs right out of the uh, idol of work, which was the idol that Pharaoh was promoting as, uh, as they were in Egypt. God's people were in Egypt and they were being enslaved. And he was saying, work, work, work. And God gives the gift of Sabbath and says, no, don't make that the center of your life. And like I was, it was toward the end of the day and I was kind of panicking. I, I wasn't able to get the time to work on the sermon and find the illustration. And I'm just like, well, what am I going to do, God? And he's like, today, that's your illustration. I gave you an enjoyable day and an illustration. Remember this for next time that you're going to make work everything instead of receive the gifts that I have. So it's, it's not just that. Um, we need these practices, these intentional moments that we carve out time to shift attention to God rather than idols. So how are we going to do that with uh, in the worship and wonder yeah. season? Yeah, so this is going to be on the screen um, and you probably want to uh, scan the QR code because you probably can't read the actual uh, writing on that. So scan the QR code. It'll pull up uh, this very thing um, that I want to share this is how we have said, hey, as a church family, we want to press in and engage in intentional practices of worship by experiencing wonder this summer. And so there is a reading plan that I want to just walk us through to kind of uh, talk through what this would look like in a day. Um, the reading plan on here you will see is just one week. Um, but we're doing this season for eight weeks. We are repeating this for eight weeks, okay? So you will do, uh, you will read these same things, these same passages for all eight weeks. And that way it's, you're gonna be marinating in it and you're gonna be uh, probably even memorizing some of this stuff. So we've got three times, uh, three times a day to really engage with God in this intentional practice. Um, in the morning, as you wake up, whether you're still in bed or as you make coffee and you're sitting at your dining room table, you're going to read 1 John. There's five chapters in 1 John, so you're gonna read a chapter of 1 John Monday through Friday. 
If you're wondering, that might seem like a lot of scripture. It takes three minutes to read one chapter of 1 John, so it's really not a long time. But as you read that, you're going to ask three questions. And there's three prompts here on this, um, on this uh, handout. The first is, as you read the chapter of 1 John, you're going to hit the prompt of thanks. And you're just going to thank God for something in the path that you've read. Then after you give thanks, you're going to move into confession and you are going to confess the ways that you missed the mark of the passage. And then from there, you're going to move into asking where based on what you've read, you're going to ask God for something for yourself or for others in that passage. And so that's the morning chapter of 1 John with these three prayer prompts to be able to pray in the morning. And then as you go about your day and you're at work and you're on your lunch break, or maybe you're at home and your kids are taking a nap, we have a midday reading. It is a proverb, not a whole chapter of Proverbs, just one verse. And we want you to read that three to five times. It takes about five seconds to read a proverb and read it three to five times and then reflect on how the passage connects to your life. So kind of midday wisdom to say, hey, how does this connect with my life? And then as you go about your day and your day is coming to an end, as you're reflecting on the day that's passed and as you get into bed, maybe you have the Bible on your nightstand, you're gonna turn to a Psalm and we've got the Psalms throughout there um, on this reading plan as well. And you're gonna turn to a Psalm and you're gonna read the Psalm and then a section of that Psalm that really stands out to you or, or resonates with you. You're gonna turn that Psalm, that part of the Psalm, whether it's a verse or a section into your own prayer back to God at the end of your day. And so by doing this, um, our hope is our church family will be reading through the book of 1 John eight times this summer. And we start our 1 John sermon series next Sunday. So as you're hearing it preached, you're reading it, you'll be able to read through it eight times. You'll get a handful of nuggets of God's wisdom for all of life through the Proverbs. And then you will have here on this reading that six different Psalms that you have put on repeat for eight weeks. And you'll be able to have six different Psalms that you'll know how to pray and connect with God through the Psalms. And so um, I would encourage you guys, it's, you got the uh, QR code, but it's on the app. You can print these up. We're handing them out outside there, but I would encourage you guys to join us as we um, are really intentional with connecting with God this summer. So worship and wonder. Let's step into this season. Let's delight in God and his good gifts finding ways to be intentional. Let's, let's help one another in it. And as we close, I wanna, we're going to take communion. We're going to take communion, in, uh, not just because we always end with communion, although we do. We want to end with communion because we should be struck by the fact that the psalmist is enamored with God and his good gifts, but hasn't even couldn't even conceive of the greatest gift that, G that God was given in his son. How much more should we erupt with praise in the fact that we not only are able to look at the gifts of creation, but the gifts of salvation? That, that the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus, his ascension, and the fact that he's coming to make all things new, the fact that he's the lion and the lamb, the fact that he gives us the fullness of who God is in his face, He's the creator of all things. That we get to encounter him and that is the even greater gift. And that very Jesus uses the gifts of creation to help us remember the gifts of salvation in communion. Before he died, he took the bread and the wine to proclaim the gospel through our taste buds. He took simple elements like baked wheat and fermented grapes and turn them into a culinary sanctuary where we can encounter and remember what God has done for us in Christ. So now we want to invite you to sing and worship and to take communion. Take the bread, a simple grain that reminds us of the body of Christ that was broken and bruised to show us the love and glory of God. And the wine, how it's bright red and it reminds us of the blood of Christ that was poured out 
so that God could welcome us into his family and welcome us into a future of a great feast of eternal worship and wonder. Let's pray. God, we pray that this would be a summer, even as hard things enter the summer, that we would see your goodness all around us, see your generosity, even in the smallest things, that we would help one another, that we would dive into your word, that we would feast in your presence and enjoy your good gifts. We pray that this would be a summer marked not just by discontent wandering, but by tapping into that deep longing and, and, and finding the one who is the feast for our souls. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing, let's worship, let's take communion, and let's celebrate this God who gives good gifts.